Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no gold or silver, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when you had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all." And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But when God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his prophets, holy prophets, long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and those who came after him, also proclaimed these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made to your fathers, saying to Abraham, In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Well, we return to Acts This morning, Acts chapter 3, where there is this phenomenal miracle of healing. Have you ever seen an obvious miracle of God where someone was healed? Have you ever seen that? You know, I'm not talking about the stuff on 
television where people come across the stage and they're smacked in the head and they fall down and you know, all of that, you know, the, the follow-up investigations have shown that most of that is, is fraudulent, it's psychosomatic type of illnesses, it's real nebulous, and it's all dependent upon the faith of the person. No, I'm not about legitimate, this person had X and now it's gone. I never will forget one of the most vivid memories of my childhood was no other way to describe it, but a miraculous healing. Uh, we, we were family friends with a, a family in our church. They had children that were the ages of my sisters and my brother. Uh, Miss Varela had taught me in preschool and I, we had eaten at her house and uh, she got sick. And uh, so my you know, ex little teacher, children's church teacher wasn't around and they didn't know what it was. This is back you know, in the early 70s. And <clears throat> so you didn't have all the advanced technology you have today. And I will forget one Sunday evening, they brought Mrs. Varela in on an army cot. A bunch of men were carrying it. And uh, she had been diagnosed with cancer, not just a little tumor. It was cancer that was throughout her spine and her hips. And she, that was why she was in such great pain. And of course, her life expectancy now was just, just a matter of a short period of time. And so they brought Mrs. Varela in on a cot. And I remember this. I think I was in maybe first, second grade, something like this. My dad was one of the deacons and several of the deacons and, and the pastors gathered around her. And in that church service, we as a church prayed over her and our leaders laid hands on her in accordance to James chapter five. Later on that week, they took Miss Varela in for emergency surgery to try to clean out as much of the cancer as they could. And when they opened her up, it was all gone. Every last bit of it was gone. But it had been there because it had so damaged her spine and her hips and her joints for the rest of her life. For you know, the next, I think at least 20 years before she died, she was on a set of the old style crutches and she, she walked. She had definitely been affected by the cancer, but the cancer was gone. Miraculous. The healings we experience today, they are very important. We've had them happen in our church uh, where people have had for just recently even a great diagnosis of one who had had cancer, had cancer and it was severe and elders laid hands and anointed, prayed and, and God delivered her from that cancer. Legitimate healings can happen even today. But they are very different than what happened in the book of Acts. You see, miraculous healings in the early church were important because they attested to the legitimacy of the apostles and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Jewish people they expected the prophets of God, if somebody was to be a prophet of God, a spokesman for God, and that person was supposed to be confirmed in some miraculous way. And so the signs and wonders that the apostles did were necessary so that they would be seen as credible witnesses before the Jewish nation. But now while this healing in Acts chapter three is important and it's spectacular, this chapter isn't about a miraculous healing. Not really. You know, one of the things, that, the reason why this chapter is here is it acts as a bridge between chapter two and chapter four. When you come to Acts chapter two, Peter's, you know, the sermon at Pentecost, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago at the end of chapter two, it says that the early church were enjoying the teaching of the apostles. They were gathering together daily in the temple, in their homes, living in biblical community. God was blessing this early church. People were being uh, saved every day, coming into the church as believers in Jesus Christ. And it, and it says that the apostles were going throughout the city doing miracles, signs and wonders, attesting to the legitimacy of the gospel. 
And what we have here in chapter three is an important example of those signs and wonders because this event in chapter three, which was so obvious, so well known, it became the catalyst for the persecution that we're gonna begin seeing in chapters four, five, six, seven, and onwards. And so this chapter is very much a bridge. It serves that purpose, but primarily, this chapter is not about a healing that serves as a bridge. This chapter is primarily about Jesus. And what we see in this chapter is the hope of the gospel and the centrality of Jesus to our faith. This story is much more than a story about a miraculous healing. It is telling us that only Jesus can deliver us from the crippling, the disabling power and the consequences of sin that every one of us experiences. Let's begin by looking at the plan of Jesus this morning. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, so that would have been about three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Now, it probably says more about me than you that every time I read this, I think of the Monty Python alms for the poor scene that's in that movie. But that is a lot of what happened, right? People would be gathered around a gate, the the poor, the lame, and they would beg. And what we have here in this story is Peter and John going to the temple. Now, in the early days of the church, this was customary. We read this at the end of the book of Luke, right? Where the disciples and the, the believers in Christ would daily go to the temple and pray and praise God and listen to the teachings of the apostles. So they went to the temple as a gathering place to worship and pray. They didn't participate in the, the sacrificial system anymore. They didn't need to because Jesus was the last lamb of God to be sacrificed. But it was an important area in the life of the Jewish people. And Peter and and John are doing what they did on a regular basis. They went to the temple at three o'clock in order to do the evening prayers. And outside the beautiful gate, it was called the beautiful gate because it was a, a massive gate that was covered in Corinthian copper. It was even more beautiful than the, the other gates that had gold inlays or silver inlays. It was a, a major thoroughfare that would come out of Solomon's porch into the court of the women. And then people would go into that and then the women would have to stay behind and the men would go into the next court next to them. This is where the temple was laid out. This was a prime spot. If you, I mean, this is Palm Bay Road and Culver, if you know what I mean, right? Or Palm Bay Road and Babcock. This is prime begging real estate right here, okay? And so this man, we don't know how old he is, but he's probably, you know, he's at least 20, 30, maybe 40, 50 years old. But we know that, let's just say he's, he's 30, okay? For all of his life as a man, as a, as, since he was old enough, he has been brought to this spot, it says, and this is where he begged. And, and what's amazing to me is what this guy's reality is like. I mean, think about this. This is the culture where the disciples, before Jesus, when Jesus came to a blind man and The disciples said, who sinned, this blind man or his parents? Remember that story? In this culture, 
Most people would look at someone with a handicap, a physical handicap like this cripple, and they would see it as God's judgment, his displeasure against this man's sin or his parents' sin. He's being punished. He's being judged. He was an object of disdain, scorn. He was an untouchable, a little bit above the lepers, but not much. And so at, at worst, people just looked at him as this, this object of God's scorn and judgment, somebody to ignore, have nothing to do with. At best, people would come by and they would drop coins in his cup because the rabbis had told him that if you want to be pious, if you really want to you know, show that you love God, then you give pennies to the poor. And so as he's calling alms for the poor, alms for the poor, they're walking by and they're dropping pennies so that they look good. So he's a charity project, right? Either way, his life was one of humiliation and destitution. He's totally dependent upon other people. And here comes Peter and John, and on this day, they say, look at us, look at us. This would have been startling, right? They, they basically were ignored. People just dropped the coins. You didn't acknowledge them. You just dropped the coins. Look at us. But even more amazing than, to me than that is the, the question of, of why. Why this day? I guarantee you, Peter and John were like many of you. They were creatures of habit, right? I mean, you've sat in that chair for 35 years. <laughs> Pretty close, right? You've sat on that row for eight or nine years now, right? You sit in that, I mean, we are creatures of habit, aren't we? And I want you to get this. Remember, this man had been at this gate all of his adult life. Meaning, on more than one occasion, Jesus himself, in all likelihood, walked by this guy. Meaning that for many days prior to this day, Peter and John, and on their habit, their creaturely habit, let's go to the temple, let's pray, they walk by this guy every day. And today is different. Why? Why is it that on this day, the Holy Spirit moved in Peter and John's life so that they look at this guy, they acknowledge this guy, on this day, after 30 or 20, 30, 40 years of painful existence, on this day, Jesus says, this is your day to be delivered. Why? Why on this day? Why is this the, the appointed time for his healing? and for his salvation. Why this day? Why didn't Jesus do it three years earlier when he walked in and out of the temple? Why didn't Peter and John do it three weeks earlier while they're waiting for Pentecost or after Pentecost? Why? Well, the answer is easy. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, how many, I mean, I confess, I do not understand God's timing, right? All I know is that his purposes and his plans are perfect, and his timing is equally perfect. But I can't understand his timing. I don't understand his plans. I, 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 don't, understand the, the, I don't understand the last year. I don't understand the delays in our project. 
I don't understand what's been going on in just that little thing, much less something as major as this. And yet we know that as much as God's purposes and plans and timing are carried out in when do we build a building and not build a building, it's even more obvious when it comes to matters of salvation and redemption. There is a timetable, church, and God in his perfect timing works according to his plan. We see it in Galatians 4 when Paul says, when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law. Through the Romans, he tells us, when we were helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Jesus always has a plan and his timing and that plan are absolutely perfect. And they are inscrutable when you're in the middle of it. It's oftentimes not until much, much later that you begin to get some semblance of understanding as to why it works out the way it does and when it works out the way it does and when it works out. But some things we won't understand until heaven. But what we do know is that Jesus always has a plan and his plan has perfect timing. He moves in a way that will bring the maximum amount of glory to God and to expand his kingdom in the way that he wants it expanded. That's what we can trust when it comes to the timing of God's purposes and plans. And we can trust that. So there's the plan of Jesus. Then beginning in verse five, the power of Jesus and he fixed his attention on them, <clears throat> the beggar, expecting to receive something from them. Now, now, can you imagine what that was like for the beggar, right? He's ignored most of the time. Alms for the poor, clink, clink. People drop pennies. This time, alms for the poor, and he gets, look at us. If you were in his place and you looked up, what would you be expecting? What would you expect? I'll tell you what I would expect. I'm about to get a fat offering. In fact, maybe it's not a few coins. Maybe it's some bigger coins and he wants to hand them to me, right? You, you got to think that when he heard, look at me inside the heart of that lame man whose life was one of basically humiliation, there sprung up a sense of hope. Today, I'm going to have enough money to go home and buy my meal and do whatever it is I need to do. I'm about to get a nice offering from these two kind looking men and then instead he hears, I have no silver and gold. <laughs> How that, you're talking about highs and lows within a heartbeat, right? Highs and lows. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, Peter says, I give to you. You see, Peter had something greater than money. He had something better than silver and gold. He had, he gave him what he had and what he had is all what we have, we've experienced it. We carry it with us because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have what they had. We have the same power of Jesus in our lives. Silver and gold I do not have, but I will give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Wow. Yeah, you know, this week I, uh, or maybe it was last week, they kind of blurred together at times. But recently, I had a conversation with a young lady who was obviously pregnant, okay? And I'm always very careful about this. I never want to bring up pregnancy unless I'm clearly the person's pregnant, right? She was clearly pregnant. 
And so I just engaged her in conversation and I asked her, you know, how, when are you due? And she told me how re- soon it was and she was excited. And I asked her, do you know what you're having? And she goes, yes, we're having a little girl. And I was like, well, what do you have? And of course I was working all of this up so that I can invite her, invite her to Sunrise Island for her children and church. Well, anyway, um, I said, have you have a name? And all that kind of stuff. And she told us, told me her name and it was two names. I said, why those two names? And she goes, well, that's my grandmother and the grandmother of my dad, or, or excuse me, of my husband, right? And so these are my, the, our grandmothers, and we're, we want our daughter to have our grandmother's name. You know, that's what we do, right? We oftentimes name our children because, you know, the, it starts with the letter J, and we want all of our kids to have the letter J, or, you know, some other thing, or we just simply like the way that name sounds, or maybe at best in our culture, we name somebody because we want to honor one of our ancestors. That's kind of common. But you see, in the ancient world, the name of a person very important, very intentional. A parent might name their child in a way to reflect their hopes and dreams for that child's destiny. Might give the child a name anticipating that this was going to be the character of that child or what that child accomplished in life. The name was very important. In fact, later in life, if you did something stupendously heroic, they might change your name to reflect that great deed or your character. Names were linked. And so when he says, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this is important. Jesus of Nazareth, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, an actual human being who you know, who walked in history here in these very streets, But he wasn't just any man. He was the Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He was God in the flesh, promised to bring us salvation in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Listen, this is important. Later on in the book of Acts chapter 19, there's going to be these five guys, the sons of Skira. What a name that is, right? Sons of Skira. And, and they see Paul casting out demons with the possessed people in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, he was doing these miraculous signs. And they say, you know, we want in on this gig. And so they found somebody who was demon possessed, a man, and they went into his house and they began to, in the name of Jesus, we can't command you to relieve. And, and they're trying to do what Paul is using in the name of Jesus, almost as if it was like this magical incantation, right? Like it was the ancient version of hashtag Jesus Christ in the name of, hashtag Jesus Christ, right? That's what they're doing. And the demon turns to them and says, Paul, I know, Jesus, I know, I don't know you guys. And he commenced to just beat the fool out of them, strip them naked, kick them out of the house, all five of them, one demon possessed guy. They thought this was just some little magic potion some incantation, some talking point, some hashtag, not at all. There's significant going on here when Peter says, in the name of, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. See a great example of it as the Israelites leave Egypt and God is speaking to them and he says, behold, I sent an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. What was God saying there? 
saying, this angel that's going before you, he has my authority, my power. And that's what Peter is essentially saying. When he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, he's essentially saying, I am speaking the words, but Jesus is now the one who is healing you. When I speak in his name, when the faith that he has now given me for your healing brings about your healing, know that it's not me. It's Jesus working through me. He is here right now working for your good, and he's bringing about this healing. This is what Peter's saying with that little catchphrase in the name of. It's not me, it's Jesus working through me. The faith for this miracle comes from Jesus. He's the one who's given me the faith to even think that I can say what I'm about to say to you and do what I'm about to do to you. And what does he do? He reaches down and he picks him up. What a beautiful scene, this untouchable person God's messenger reaches down and grabs him and pulls him to his feet. And now they have this incredible description. I call it an ancient version of Christy Segre Lewis. <laughs> he goes into the temple and he goes nuts. He's leaping and he's shouting and he's joyful and he's praising God, right? Because he's just been delivered, right, Christy? Amen, right? And he's happy about it. And you can't shut him up and you can't calm him down. And you shouldn't because he's just been delivered by the power of Jesus Christ. And it's neat how Luke, who's a doctor, a medical doctor, if you look at the underlying Greek, you'll see all these medical terms and the description of the healing and the ankle joints and the tendons and all the words that only Luke uses and only in, these types of pla in this place in the Bible. And it gives us a neat little insight about how God even speaks through the backgrounds of his men as they write scripture. But even more important than those medical terms, Dr. Luke pulls phrases from the Old Testament. Phrases that reflect that what's behind this miracle is the Messiah, the promised one. And it's through the power of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, that this is being done. He gives us imagery from Isaiah chapter 35, which has references to the Messiah, the prophesied Messiah. Be strong, do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. This is what the Messiah does when John the Baptist is in prison and he goes through a little bit of a dark time and he's wondering, is Jesus the Messiah? He sends a, a messenger to Jesus to ask him point blank, are you the promised Messiah? And Jesus answers with words like this from Isaiah 35. And so Luke is affirming one more time that if you follow Jesus, you, like Peter and John and this healed man, have experienced the life-saving, restoring power of the Son of God, the promised Messiah. And we have experienced it. We have it within us right now. And so this week, when you go to work, you carry that power with you. When you go to school this morning, if you follow Jesus and have experienced his saving grace, you carry this power with you. When you meet up with that friend for coffee and their life was falling apart, know that you carry this power with you into that coffee meeting.
onto that date, to that bedtime with your children, to that spouse who you're struggling with, to that family member and home who rejects your faith, you carry this power with you. And with this power of Jesus, you also have been given the authority of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to proclaim the good news and offer it to others and promise that they will receive the same blessings you have received if they will simply believe. This is the power that resides within us right now. If you are a son and daughter of God and a brother and sister of Jesus Christ, there's the plan of Jesus, there's the power of Jesus, there's the person of Jesus. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, I bet that's an understatement, <laughs> ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses." When the crowd comes to Peter and they want to magnify him, Peter does what anyone would ever do who has actually experienced the power of Jesus in their lives. The person who has experienced the power of Christ in their lives will always deflect the honor back to Jesus because we know it doesn't come from us. We'll point them to the one who it does come from. And this is what Peter does like in Acts chapter two with the miracle of Pentecost, he capitalizes on this miracle. And he once again proclaims the gospel and preaches a sermon that's filled with the gospel to these people who are standing around to them. Like any good gospel sermon, it has the good news of who Jesus is, right? He says, this is the promised long awaited servant of the Lord. Isaiah prophesied in chapters 52 and 53, this is who Jesus was. He's the holy and righteous one. He is the author of life. He is the resurrected, ascended Messiah who now reigns over his messianic kingdom. And we have seen this with our very own eyes. He gives them the good news of who Jesus is. But then he also at the same time, unflinchingly gives them the bad news. The promised prophesied servant became that suffering servant, which was also prophesied because you betrayed him. You threatened, you threatened Pilate if he would not, didn't find Jesus guilty. You took the holy and righteous one and you condemned him as if he was a sinner to the extent that you freed an actual murderer. And then in the most horrific form of irony, you took the author of life and you rejected him and you murdered him in the place of an actual murderer. This is what you've done. And by the way, the reason why all of that happened wasn't just because of those sinful Jews 2,000 years ago. 
The reason why all of that happened at the appointed time according to God's timetable is because every one of us are also sinners like those Jews of 2,000 years ago. Don't think they sent him to the cross. Recognize I sent him to the cross. We sent him to the cross. It was our sins that sent him to the cross. We're just as guilty, just as culpable, just as much in need of salvation and deliverance as they. The focal point of this story, incredible miracle here. I mean, let's face it. If that happened in our worship service next Sunday, we're gonna have to put out more chairs the next Sunday, right? <laughs> right? It's an incredible miracle, but the focal point is not on the miracle. The focal point is on the miracle worker. And the miracle worker here, church, is not Peter. It's Jesus who works through Peter to give this man a new life. If the miracle worker were Peter, right? If that's, if that's where the focus was supposed to be, if it was because Peter had this great, massive reservoir of faith, and because of this, he was able to heal that man, then this story would be totally irrelevant to every one of us. Because I think every one of us would say, I don't have a massive reservoir of faith. Right? And if the focal point of this miracle was due to the faith of the lame beggar, then this story would actually be even more discouraged because we would say, even a beggar has more faith than what I do. How pathetic is this? But you see, that's not the focal point. The lame beggar was not a great man of faith. This man was not healed because of his faith. This man was healed because Jesus at the appointed time gave faith to the apostle Peter to do something in his name. And then Jesus through Peter reached down and grabbed that man by the hand and brought him up out of his crippling disability in his life of sin. And he healed him and he saved him miraculously. And church, Christian, believer, brothers and sisters, that's exactly what Jesus did to you according to his timetable at that moment in your life. And maybe it was through the faith of a, that he gave the faith to a, a pastor or a parent who proclaimed with power the truth of the gospel. And at the appointed time, he worked through that parent or that friend or that evangelist or that pastor or coworker. And he reached down and he grabbed your sin wrought heart and hand and he lifted you up and he cleaned you and he redeemed you and he healed you and he restored you. Your story of salvation is just as stupendous and miraculous as the story of this lame man. See that this morning in this story. This fellow was a desperate, broken sinner, just like all of us. But then he encountered Jesus through a Jesus follower. And this changed everything. That's why the story is applicable for us this morning. Peter goes on and he says, his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent therefore 
and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things which God spoke by his mouth through the holy prophets long ago. Church, listen to me this morning. To become the joyful, leaping, praising, refreshed, restored children of God. To go from being sin crippled to that type of person, Jesus has to heal us. He has to restore us. He has to address the sin of our hearts, the disabilities of our hearts. And for those of you who have not yet decided to follow Jesus, understand that whatever it is that you're turning to, that you're looking to, you will not find the answer there. It will only be found in Jesus. And so I would encourage you, even this morning, to begin to pray and ask God to open your eyes, to give you a heart that loves Jesus and believes in Jesus, to give you that desire to turn from sin and commit your life to him. If he's working in your heart like that, even this morning, I hope you'll come and see me after the service. You'll come over to our Stephen ministers and let us pray with you and talk with you. Let us rejoice with you as you enter into the kingdom of God and you find that you no longer have to live a life of the cripple, but you can live the life of the empowered sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to look at this passage of Scripture Lord, we, we ask on behalf of the one who's here who doesn't know you that even today would be their day of salvation, that, that this is their day according to your divine timetable. And if not, may we continue to love them and may they continue to return and look into the truth of your word. And Father, for those of us who are believers, would you open our eyes and open our hearts so that we can see the areas of our lives that are infringing and in hindering and blocking us from experiencing that restoring, renewing power that comes to the Holy Spirit. Help us to see the disabilities of our hearts, the idolatries of our lives, the areas where we, we serve ourselves and worship ourselves and follow our own desires or the, or the counsel and wisdom of this world rather than yours. God, open our eyes and help us to see the disabilities of our hearts so that we can follow you with power and with joy, leaping, praising, winsomely telling others of you. In your name we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.